0: Every day of our lives is spent in the built environment. We live in homes and apartments, drive on roads, get gas from pipelines, go to work in buildings, make purchases in stores and restaurants. We rely on factories, plants, doctor's offices, and hospitals for our basic human needs. And while our world continues to shift and grow and change, the development and delivery of the built environment has fallen dramatically behind. Welcome to the Built Revolution. We're here to engage the leaders, visionaries, and innovators who are revolutionizing the built environment. This podcast is brought to you by Continuum Advisory Group and the Construction Industry Institute.
1: Hello, this is Clark Ellis, Principal with Continuum Advisory Group. Welcome to the Built Revolution Podcast. The following episode, a conversation with Art Markman about motivational theory and organizational psychology was recorded prior to the COVID-19 outbreak in the United States. We've decided to release it uh, as we think that the topic of conversation is particularly relevant as we all struggle with challenges in the workplace and at home. Please enjoy and look for more content from the Built Revolution in the following weeks. Thank you. Hello, and and thank you for joining uh, the Built Revolution podcast. Uh, This is Clark Ellis, principal with Continuum Advisory Group, and we appreciate you joining us. Um, uh, Today, we have Art Markman. Uh, professor of psychology at the University of Texas in Austin, and the executive director of the IC Squared Institute. Art, thank you for being with us today.
2: Thanks, Clark. It is good to be here. Well,
1: it's good to have you, and um, it, it's really interesting um, that we would uh, we'd have this opportunity to talk today, because I, I, I'd seen some, some of your publishing and, and uh, speeches that you've done around uh, motivational theory and organizational change. I thought it was really interesting how um you put forward the idea that and I think it's 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 obviously spot on that organizations don't change it's people that have to change and people make up organizations and that's and that's how it works um and in that context, I was thinking about how challenging it can be in today's environment with with so much messaging coming at us about. Threats and the need for us to do something or not do something else, and and how that maybe overwhelms us a little bit and and makes it more difficult for us to to actually uh, change as human beings and inside organizations. And I was I was curious as to you know, whether you had an opinion or a take on that.
2: Yeah. So to start with, let's let's think about how it is that you get people to do anything, or how it is that you yourself do anything, and and the the desire to do something really comes from the recognition of a gap between where you are right now and where you'd like to be in the future. And that what that gap does is it creates energy. And then if you have both energy and an ability to do something about it, you get action. So, so where are these gaps? How do you create these gaps? And what we, what we know from a lot of research is that there are two kinds of gaps. There are what we could call approach gaps. Which are, there's some wonderful thing in the world that I don't have, but I'd like to have, and I am excited about the opportunity to pursue that. And that could be getting a great job, it could be eating a great meal. I mean, there's all sorts of things that can create these approach gaps. But there are also what are called avoidance gaps, where the gap is that there's some threat or potential catastrophe or potential or sometimes even some actual dangerous thing in my environment, and I need to escape it. And so what I'm trying to do is to avoid a negative outcome. And the reason I'm framing it this way is because if we think about the kind of messaging we get from all over the place, we get on social media, in the news, and even in the workplace, there is a lot of focus on the threats and the dangerous things in the environment to be avoided. And so a lot of the gaps that are created from for us from the outside are these avoidance gaps and and those avoidance gaps create stress and fear and anxiety and the desire to do something to avoid the threat. But but one thing that's really important about this is there are lots of ways to get away from something and not all of them are productive. And right. so, you know, if, if you think about, I mean, so for example, one way I could avoid a threat is just to not think about it. Right. And, and another way I could avoid a threat is to, is to run away from it, but not necessarily run towards anything in particular. So from an organizational standpoint, if there's lots of threat out there, I'm not necessarily aligning everybody on my team towards a common purpose that, that we're all trying to achieve. We're just all trying to run away from the problem.
1: Right, so we're all we're all in you know fight fight flight or freeze mode.
2: Exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. So from from an organizational standpoint, um, you know that that how does that affect um, you know leaders as they're as they're trying to align uh, their their employees and their staff and their partners around mm-hmm. some kind of positive change or, or necessary change for the organization.
2: Yeah. So there's there's a couple of problems that that come with this. One of which is stress and anxiety they're unpleasant emotions they're they're actually somewhat painful and so while i can get you to do something right now if there's a threat and so i mean it's one of the reasons anybody who's ever been a parent knows <laughs> that if you if you if you need your kid to do something right now you threaten some punishment and they get up and they do it but but the thing is in the long term if you want people showing up to work every day then you you want to create an environment that isn't just about fear and anxiety and stress and 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 threat and catastrophe but but really an environment that's also about something positive that you're trying to achieve otherwise you you get people looking for another job you know right. i i mean it's funny right at the end of the day they have this thing they call happy hour but for most people it's not happy hour it's relief hour i got through another day without the world falling apart and and then then i medicate myself to make that to, to make that tolerable. So if I want people to actually engage in something positive and to engage in something where we work together towards a common end, I got to spend some amount of time in the workplace focusing people also on the, the desirable things we're trying to achieve as an organization. Otherwise, uh, otherwise everyone's just running away. We're not, we're not really trying to pull together in, in any significant way.
1: Well, that makes sense. And, and you know, in, in my career as a, as a consultant and having, having worked with a lot of organizations at implementing strategy, implementing change, uh, trying to shift culture, um, you know, one of the challenges that we, we always face is how do you take a, an organizational initiative or organizational change that, that's beneficial for the organization and communicate that or illustrate that down to the individual level? so that the people in in the organization really understand how their their personal gain or their their personal motivation fits or aligns with what the organization is trying to do.
2: Yeah, so you know, one of the things that I think is really important and there's a lot of research in in the area of positive psychology that shows this is that one of the big determinants of what makes people feel fulfilled with the work that they do is that is the is the recognition that the work that they're doing contributes to something bigger than themselves. And it's really important for organizations, particularly when they're making some kind of change, to focus both on here are the specific ways in which your job is going to change. And that might be unpleasant because things you used to be able to do by habit, mindlessly. Now you're gonna to have to think about, and, and that isn't always fun. But at the same time, while, while thinking about the, those changes, it's important to keep people's focus on the, what it is that the organization accomplishes, what it is that, that the organization does that makes lives better, that achieves something significant. You know, I, I think about, I mean, you, know, you think about the construction industry, for example, you know, how, how few people actually get an opportunity to walk through, uh, a completed structure after it's, after it's done, even if they worked on it. Yeah. And, and yet that's, that's why you did it. You know, the trick is, and, and not just to walk through it as a, as part of a, uh, an inspection, but you know, like three months after it opens, come back and walk through and see people going through their lives and and having enjoyable experiences because of something you did. And there's an equivalent to that in every industry. And yet we often fail to give people an opportunity to experience that joy that comes with having contributed to something significant because we just, you know, we finish one task and we run down to the next thing on the to-do list without actually celebrating something significant we achieved.
1: That's a, that's a great point. Um, you know, early in my career, I worked on a, on a partnering process for F terminal at, uh, at Philadelphia uh, international airport. And this was in, I think it was probably 99 or 2000, but just a couple of years ago, my wife and I were, were, were connecting through there on vacation. And, and I, I was proudly talking to her about it and showing her and said, this is the, this is the terminal that I was, I was a part of. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it is a pretty unique experience to be able to to participate in uh, creating an asset that's going to be there, uh, you know, for hopefully for many generations to come in most cases. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. And so, you know, taking that opportunity to actually enjoy it and not think of the project just in terms of all the, all the things that could have gone wrong that that, that were avoided. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, and I, you know, when you, when you think about, well, how can you make this happen? I mean, some of it is a matter of celebrating those things as you complete them but another is is creating habits to routinely make sure that at least some of your focus is on these positive things. And I, right. you, you know, I, one of the one of the suggestions I make to groups all the time, and I, I talk to, to groups about this uh, about this notion of of really creating these kinds of of enjoyment of positive outcomes in different ways. And there's lots of different professions whose primary focus tends to be on avoidance. So right. you know, in construction, you've got you know safety in the, on the work side, right? I mean, right. it's one of the, it's one of the professions where a mistake can literally be deadly and not just figuratively as it might be in finance or something like that. Um, but, but there are other professions like that as well. And I, I speak often to medical groups. Mm. And again, you know, when, when, when health is one of the issues, you know, you may very well be dealing with things that are a matter of life and death. And as a result, the avoidance of actual catastrophe is, is an important thing to pay attention to. But, but in both cases, both in construction and in medicine and in, and in fields like that, you can actually forget to celebrate the, the wonderful things. And And of course, one of the things that construction does in order to keep people's focus on safety is, is that every meeting starts with a safety moment, which is a way of instilling this habit that no matter where you are, I mean, you could be sitting in a meeting in a hotel somewhere and you still start with a safety moment. And and that's great because it says safety is really important, but it also says we have to be constantly vigilant for calamity. And I'm a big believer that at least some meetings, in addition to a safety moment, if that's required, you you also want to have a joy moment where somebody actually points out something really wonderful that happened at work that everyone can share in to remind everybody that it's not just about the avoidance of catastrophe, there's some wonderful things that can happen too. But here's a funny thing. I was doing this at a hospital not long ago. I was talking to a bunch of uh, doctors and health professionals and and administrators. And I I said, so let's have a joy moment. In fact, let's practice it here. Somebody tell me something really wonderful that happened that we can all share. And I kid you not, the first person, to somebody rose their hand, raised their hand right away and then said, well, you know, the hospital had been under investigation for a rules infraction that we, that we didn't really think we, we deserved to be under investigation for. And we found out this week that we've been cleared. And I said, sure. yeah, see, that's, that's not a joy moment. <laughs> that, is, that was a threat in the environment. That is a relief moment. <laughs> said, I said, you know, try again. We need a joy moment. So, so this notion of, of focusing on threat and uh, is so deeply ingrained that even when asked to come up with a joy moment, the first thing somebody came up with was a relief moment. And finally, somebody said, well, you know, there was a, a five-year-old came in who had been really sick a few months before, and he came in and, and brought lollipops to everybody. I said, see, now that's a joy moment. Yeah. Right? Five, five-year-olds with lollipops, that's joy. Uh, and, and so, you know, it's, but it took a while and I, and I think we're so ingrained to think about the, the negative things that can happen. We sometimes just, we, we, we even forget how to find the, those, those, those potentially joyous things that are happening.
1: Well, yeah, it, it, you, you, kind of referenced it earlier, um, that, that people need to have meaning or find meaning in what they're doing. Um, right. and you know, in a lot of ways, those joy moments, uh, remind us of, of why we're in it, you know, the, those in the health profession, you know, probably in, in, in some, in some level got into it because they wanted to help people. Right. And, you know, that, that five-year-old seeing that five-year-old who was ill and then it was had recovered and was, was well, and was, was bringing, you know, enthusiasm and, and appreciation, you know, back to the, uh, to the hospital, you know, it was a great illustration of, oh, you know, here's the significance of what we're doing. That's uh, right. That's what right. we're doing it, so, so yeah, so we need to, we need to always keep that, uh, keep that top of mind, uh, you know, as leaders that, um, you know, I, I, one of, one of my mentors, I know you talk a lot about mentoring and, and, one of my, my mentors had this really interesting way of talking about motivation. He said, um, he said, well, as a leader, you got to recognize there's, there's two things about motivation that are true. Number one, everyone is motivated.
2: Mm, right.
1: Just think about that. Everyone's motivated and you can't motivate anyone. Right know, yeah, And it used to piss people off, you know, because <laughs> you'd be telling this to these hard driving, you know, inspirational, energetic leaders. Like, well, I, I motivate people all the time. It's like, no, you really don't. Yeah. You know, your job as a leader is to understand uh, what motivates your people and then help them see how that aligns with the, the way the organization uh, is moving forward.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's an old joke uh, uh, about psychologists, right? How many psychologists yeah. does it take to change a light bulb? Right. I mean, the answer is one, but the light bulb's got to want to change. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, that's a, I mean, there's something deeply true about that. I mean, it, and it yeah. gets, it gets that very thing. I mean, you're absolutely right. Everyone's motivated to do something. Yeah. Uh, it may not be the thing you want them to do. And that's actually where these gaps come in is, is part of what we do is, is to try to help people to see the gap, you know, and to care about that gap that, that here's, here's where you are right now. And here's where you could be, and if right. I can get you to internalize that gap and accept that gap, I can energize you to want to do something that is aligned with what with what I'm trying to do. But you know, there's certainly situations in which uh, in which I I show you a gap and you don't care, right. either because the gap isn't one that matters to you, it doesn't fit your values, or or because it matters to you but you don't think you can do anything about it. Right. You know, which is, which also matters. So we, we know there's a lot of research and motivation showing that if I ask you to do something that you think is impossible, you just give up.
1: Right. Right. Well, that, that almost, that almost brings us full circle. I think at least in my, in my mind, back to the, you know, one of the initial questions that we were talking about, which is the sort of idea that we're psychologically, we're constantly being bombarded with, um, negative messaging, fear messaging, risk messaging um, you know, the challenges. And, and I think that one, one of the reactions that, that, that I see from, I feel it personally, and I also see it in others is this feeling of being overwhelmed and, and freezing. Yeah, um, you know, the, the fight, fight, you know, fight, flight, or, but, but people often forget about the third part of that, which, you know, is, is freeze, you know, and in yeah. the animal kingdom, a lot of animals, that's how they, their last resort against a predator is to play dead. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and if you if, you have, if your organization is playing dead, you're not you're not going to be able to, to successfully you know, keep the organization moving towards the change that it needs to, to go through in order to be successful.
2: Yeah. You know, it's 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 kind of interesting and somewhat ironic that one of the the, the, the leaders in the field of positive psychology was a is a guy named Marty Seligman whose initial research back in the 1970s was on, uh, on a phenomenon called learned helplessness, hmm. which is where, you know, and he studied this in animals first, where you take an animal and you expose it to uh, mild shocks that it can't do anything about. It can't do anything to stop them. And so at right. first it does all these behaviors to try to avoid them, and eventually it just lies down and says, forget it. There's nothing I can do. I just got to wow. take it. And I, and I think that happens. You know, we, we lose resilience skills over time when we just think, well, there's nothing I can do about this and we just give up. And I think you, you see that sometimes in organizations where people just feel like, well, I, you know, my, my actions aren't going to help this situation at all. And so forget it. I'm just, you know, I, I, I've had it. And, And so either you get people who just don't put in much effort anymore or, or they leave. You know, they, they, they move on to something else in their lives. And so it's, it's really important to give people that sense that their actions actually can lead up to something that, and that, and that even on those days when things don't go well, that the organization is committed to learning from mistakes and failures to do better next time that, you know, I mean, I think a lot of times we, we punish people who fail at something, even when they put in a good effort. I, I always hate that because you know if somebody makes a mistake and you fire them. You've just fired the person who's least likely to make that mistake ever again. That's right. And, and so yeah. I think you know we we really need to help people to, to to take the things that don't go well, and and learn from those so that they do better in that situation in the future.
1: I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. And uh, maybe maybe a good um, a good way a good way to, to close the conversation would be. Um to you know, maybe give us one one area that you know, leader, leaders could focus on uh, that would would help to help to overcome you know, the feelings of o- be, being overwhelmed or being uh, being bombarded in, into this sort of uh, par- paralysis that, yeah. that we see in the world. You know,
2: one of the great things leaders can do is to share some of their own experiences overcoming, the the things that have gone wrong. You know, leaders, everyone's, everyone is busy. Everyone's got a lot of stuff on their to do list and, and everyone has things that don't go well. And a lot of times I think leaders feel like in order to be a strong leader, I have to, I have to really show everyone that I succeed at the things that I try to accomplish. But I think it's equally important for leaders to say, Hey, here's something that didn't go well. Here's what I'm going to do about it. Mm -hmm. So that people see in a, in a real time way, how it's, it's not about always succeeding. It's about always learning and always moving forward. And, and if you share that so that people, you know, people often look up to leaders and so if, if, if you look up to somebody and they demonstrate to you how they overcome adversity, they are teaching you something that you now begin to feel like, okay, this is how I can do the same thing. And, and I think that's, you know, probably probably the most important thing that any any leader can do is to help people to recognize it's it's, you know, life is two steps forward and one step back. And it's what you do when you take a step back that determines whether you succeed or fail in the long run. I
1: think that makes a lot of sense, Art. Outstanding. Well, uh, Art Markman, professor of psychology at University of Texas, Austin, the executive director of the IC Squared Institute. Thank you for being with us on the Built Revolution
2: Podcast. Oh, my pleasure, Clark. Great talking to you today.
0: Thanks for listening to the Built Revolution Pod, brought to you by Continuum Advisory Group and the Construction Industry Institute. Continue the conversation on Twitter at Built Revolution Pod, or email us at hello at BuiltRevolutionPod.com. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals being interviewed, and they do not necessarily reflect the views of the sponsoring organizations.